Hello and welcome. You're listening to Epic Podcast, Emergency Preparedness in Canada. My name's Joshua. And I'm Grayson. And this is episode 31, Once Upon a Disaster, Building Resilience Through Storytelling. In this episode, we explore the sometimes overlooked value of storytelling and the role that this vital tradition plays in developing prepared individuals, communities, and perhaps even in the improvement of response organizations and efforts. To this end, we'll be speaking with Suzanne Bernier, crisis consultant, disaster manager, and author of the well-known book, Disaster Heroes, about what she's learned from listening to survivor stories. All this and more on this episode of Epic Podcast, Current, Relevant, Canadian. Okay, I'd like to tell you a story. In fact, Grayson, I'm going to tell you a series of stories. They're one sentence each, and after each one, I want you to guess what disaster I'm talking about and the disaster moral or lesson to be learned. And listeners, you can play along at home. Are you ready to go, Grayson? Absolutely. Let's do this. Okay. Number one, the teenage boy who used an abandoned school bus to rescue those stranded by floodwaters. Hmm. Uh, this one has to be Hurricane Katrina. Um The moral, I guess, would be the importance of empowering flexibility and using local capacity during disasters. Right on. Yeah. Number two, uh, sheepdogs who protected their entire flock for weeks despite the worst fires on record. Oh, yeah. This one's one of my favorites. Uh, Such a cute story. You know, during the 2017 BC wildfires, this sheepdog was able to protect their entire flock uh, despite probably the longest Uh, provincial state of emergency in Canada's history. I think the applicability here is remembering to include livestock planning in your disaster plans. That's right. And my favorite, the telegraph operator who saved a train. Oh my god, yeah. This one, this is a Canadian icon, a Canadian hero story. Vince Coleman during the Halifax explosion, uh, heroically sending that message, you know, hold up the train, there's a munition ship on fire, goodbye. I guess the moral of the story here is that Haligonians are are badass. (laughs) That sounds right. (laughs) I was going more for the life-saving impact of early warning systems, but I think that's uh, just as good. That also makes sense. The point is these are all iconic, memorable, relatable stories that have withstood the test of time far more than any after-action report, and they've worked their way into our collective history and even into our culture. Yeah, there's always been something about storytelling or listening to the lived experience of others that has fascinated me. So when I heard that the author of the book Disaster Heroes was speaking at the International Association of Emergency Managers conference in uh, 2019 in Canada, I made a point of speaking with her about what we can learn as emergency management professionals from survivor stories. So without any further ado, I give you Suzanne Bernier in an interview recorded in June of 2019 at the IAEM Canada Conference. Uh, My name is Suzanne Bernier. I'm the president of SB Crisis Consulting and the author of Disaster Heroes. Suzanne, thank you so much for joining us for this epic interview. Uh, We're actually at the IAEM 2019 conference and I just had the pleasure of seeing you speak on your book on Disaster Heroes. Can you just give us a a quick overview of of the book and your work that led up to it? Sure. My background before I got into emergency management, I was a journalist. Right. And um, I, would, I would cover disasters and different events. And then I, in a very indirect way, got into the field of emergency management and um, realized that 
as emergency managers, um, a lot of the time we don't look at or highlight or feature the everyday heroes mm. that help respond every time that come out to help respond, recover and rebuild after disasters. And that's something that I would see when I would go to respond to disasters is all of the positive things that come from disasters that we don't see in the media. And um, specifically, I was inspired after volunteering in New Orleans after Katrina and seeing how many people, locals, celebrities, to volunteers from across the world were coming together to help that city rebuild. And it was nothing like what I was seeing on, in the media about the news reports and the negativity that you see or you tend to think of when you see images of destruction and, and disasters. And so I thought, you know what, I need to highlight and focus on the positive side of disasters. And the positive side are all these everyday people and heroes, really, that come together every time. And so I decided I wanted to feature everyday people who've done something fabulous to help communities either save a life or just save a community and help them rebuild. And so every chapter features one person or a two-person team who did something to be able to help one of our largest disasters that anybody would have heard of, like from 9-11 to Hurricane Katrina, the Japan tsunami, the Chilean mine collapse. So it's an international global book. It talks about different types of events from around the world, but focuses on one specific person and what they did. Awesome. So the mm -hmm. human first sort of approach. Why, why is that important? Why is storytelling important to disaster management? I think it's really important for emergency managers because a lot of the time we tend to have plans in place, of course, and we have to check off what we do. And sometimes because we're so focused and we have to be focused on what we're doing and following the plans and procedures, that sometimes we get so caught up in that that we forget about what we're doing this for and we're really doing it just for people. And sometimes the best way for us to understand, or people who haven't been placed in that kind of a situation, the best way for us to understand how it would feel is to hear real stories of people who've gone through it and from them how they've been able to recover from it. And that's one of the things now that I'm kind of shifting towards is not just talking about these one-off disaster heroes, but now looking at how we can find survivors and look at all of these different other people in our communities that will help us know what we should be doing and thinking of as emergency managers. And again, the best way I feel that we all learn, not just as emergency managers, but as people in general, is a lot of the time it's from stories. Mm. And I think that, and I, I happen to have been a storyteller, I guess, through this book. And now people I, I see in our industry are longing for more of that. And I think it's just because it's getting us to reconnect with why we're doing this. And it's because of the people. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I heard, I think, two things there, at least two things. Uh, one, the humanizing of the efforts during the response. But you also mentioned a little bit about uh, learning for maybe future disasters or for community development. What have you learned by collecting these stories and, and how could you apply that to a future state? Well, I've learned so much, including that, well, first of all, it, no one needs a badge to be a hero mm -hmm. or to take action. And that's the other thing I've learned is most heroes don't want to be called heroes. And that's all just part of being a hero, right? Uh, but it's important for us to recognize that we all have the opportunity and the ability to take heroic action in an emergency. And I think another thing that these stories try, what I wanted to do with these stories was not only educate our industry 
on the survivor stories, but also educate regular people on how they could take action in a disaster. So taking them from perhaps thinking that they might be helpless if they're faced with something to now reading these stories and knowing, oh, wait a minute, this person didn't have any background or training in anything, but not only were they able to save themselves, but they saved thousands of lives. You know, I, I think that that's one of the, the key uh, takeaways from the book that I never even intended it to be, but it ended up um, being able to promote that um, with not in the industry, but just overall in the general public. So that empowering of the kind of the whole of society approach. Mm -hmm. People who look like you and sound like you doing amazing things. And you're right, we do focus so much on the agency or that sort of command post story. How can emergency managers change that? How can they leverage the community stories other than writing a book? You know, I think it's also important. We do a lot of after action reports, mm -hmm. after action meetings. And instead of, a lot of the time, each individual responding organization or community or EOC will do their own individual separate after action report. I would like to see, and I think this would change the game, if we invite other organizations and other entities who've also responded and helped to have a, a more broad after action meeting and an after action report from the community perspective, not just from one organization's perspective, but all, including the survivors. And I think that's another big area that we're really, I think we're maybe starting to recognize it, but we need to do a lot more on it, which is recognizing the knowledge that we can gain from the survivors of these disasters. And that's another area that I think, as emergency managers, we're stuck in the EOC controlling things, responding to the disaster. You, you, we know that it's about the community and about the people, but rarely do we get to sit down with mm -hmm. those who went through it and get from them their lessons learned and their, their experiences. That's where we need to really focus more on, I think, and that's when we're really going to change the game is when we really start listening to what the needs really are, not based on what the organization thinks the lessons learned are, but what we hear from those who are living through it every day and are recovering from it. And who knows, we might even get something more than communications and more people need to know ICS out of an after-action report. We definitely yeah. won't hear the term <laughs> yeah. ICS Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> when we talk to survivors. We're going to hear about what they think is most important to them, which is going to help us the next time when it happens to another community, because we'll know. Not only because we think we know as an organization, but because we know, because we've sat down and talked to the survivors. Oh, man, I really like that. Does this hold any special place in, in Canadian culture at all? I mean, you've been all over the, the yeah. world, but why do you think storytelling might be uh, perhaps especially important in Canada? I think we have, as Canadians, a really good history of storytelling, and there are certain areas within Canada that, I mean, I'm part French, and I know that storytelling was a, a big thing when I was growing up and in the Quebec and the French, the Francophone community. My, my grandfather was a storyteller. Um, and so I think that it's something that we're very open to and used to as a culture in Canada or a lot of different cultures, the Aboriginal culture, the First Nations communities. It's all about storytelling as well. Uh, so I think we're open to it and people like it and embrace it. But uh, across the world, I think they are. The one thing I can tell you, though, the one difference that I noticed after traveling all over the world and also 
looking for people who wanted to share their heroic story with me on the book, it was like pulling teeth oh, really? to find a Canadian who was who wanted to admit that they or even at all say that they wanted to be associated with something that called them a hero. And everybody's like, as I mentioned, most heroes don't want to be called hero. However, we really need to, these are people who took heroic actions. Um, but yeah, in Canada, it was so difficult to really? find somebody, to convince somebody to talk. A true Canadian standoff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. So, I mean, I think everyone has some sort of disaster story to tell, no matter where they are. It's rare that you can get through life without being at least partially impacted with disaster. Mm -hmm. How would you suggest emergency managers collect those stories or start engaging uh, that sort of storytelling activity within their communities? It's great to tell stories about how the organization responded. We do a lot of that, yeah. though, right? So there's a lot of that kind of storytelling, which isn't really storytelling. It's more like fact-telling. Um, but if we can pull in more of the people, well, either myself or people who tell the stories and share about the survivors themselves or the communities and to be able to share their stories or bring in the survivors to share and, and have them talk about a lessons learned. There was one conference, a PTSD conference in Toronto where I brought in, um, because I, I was tasked tapped to talk about critical incident stress, how we deal with that in an active shooter situation. And instead of me talking about that, I thought, well, what's better than to the people in the room? And these were all first responders from the greater Toronto area. What would be more impactful to them than to hear from a survivor their story and mm -hmm. them telling their story? So she came in from San Bernardino, California, a survivor from that terror attack. And it was unbelievable to see how I had fire chiefs running up to us afterwards say, in tears and saying that thank you so much for sharing that. But that put it, that made it real to them. We all see active shooter attacks every day on the news, but rarely do we really ever actually hear the story from mm -hmm. a survivor live in front of us. And that's what we need to do more of is to bring in and welcome those survivors to share their stories and invite them in with our Lessons Learned team, including them in providing recommendations um, on what we could do to improve the next time around, having those in our Lessons Learned after action reports. End user feedback for disaster systems. I think that's so important. So final question, uh, you've heard a lot of disaster stories and you've published a lot of them. What are some of the recurring themes? What are, what are some of the recurring narratives in all of these stories? One of the things that I realized and noticed was, first of all, for those who took action, they all had something in common, even though none of them wanted to recognize themselves as heroes. They all had certain traits that I realized as they were telling me their story. Oh, really? So they had traits like, and it would come up, not, they wouldn't even say those words, but in my head, I would realize, oh, wait a minute, persistence, being able to think outside the box. Those are the, the two, two big ones that I saw. Um, the other thing that I realized was that it, Sometimes we're limited into thinking that people in certain roles or at certain ages or in certain areas would have better skills to be able to be called in, to be brought in to help. And now I'm realizing that there are so many different people out there from all different ages that might have brilliant ideas or access to resources or access to people 
or information that we might need. And each one of these stories, even though I started by my goal was to sell, tell the story of one hero, each one of the stories then ended up showing how after one person takes action, all of a sudden it's a snowball effect. And from the actions of one person maybe picking up a telephone and making one call could end up raising thousands of hundreds of thousands of dollars, enacting and enlisting hundreds of other people and volunteers and companies and organizations to come in and join that one person to be able to achieve that person's goal. It was remarkable to see. And that was something that ended up being a common thing I saw in every story. I didn't mean it to be that way. It just ended up happening that way. It was supposed to be each story, one story, one person, but the story ended up showing how one person can bring a whole community together. Right. You just have to go first. That's right. Well, thank you so much for this epic interview. It was a pleasure, and thanks again for a great presentation. Thank at the you, conference. Grayson. It was a pleasure for me. Well, that's a great interview, uh, Grayson. Uh, really interesting perspective to think about disasters from that human perspective. Absolutely. It was great listening to it again. And as I reflect, I think it really is a story about discovering capacity. In, in essence, it's a research project, a social science research project about the capacity that exists in our environments and in our communities. You know, this really is resilience building at an individual level. It really does speak to the types of, of uh, community capacities that can be leveraged during disaster. Yeah, and I think the power of story is so important. And as emergency managers, we need to be aware of the, the kind of narratives that emerge from disasters because they're really important not just for response, but also in the recovery of that community. So being aware, uh, you know, in the heat of the moment of what the story is going to be is hard, but just knowing that there is a, a narrative that's forming. You know, on that topic of narrative, do you think there's any risk associated with telling individual-based disaster hero stories? Does it conflict with some of the educational initiatives that are out there or the narrative that we are trying to create as emergency managers uh, as to how people should respond? I don't know if there's a, a risk as much as, as long as we don't fall into the myth trap of sometimes uh, uh, romanticizing um, disaster stories. And certainly that has been their critique, especially in, in terms of media coverage of disasters as we fall into this, uh, you know, these kind of cliche narratives that are really inaccurate and don't always properly expose and, and tell the stories of the social vulnerabilities of disaster. But I think if we're telling real, honest um, factual accounts of what happened, uh, those can be empowering. Yeah, I think that's right. Finding the balance between uh, expressing gratitude and highlighting those heroic actions while still recognizing that some people will simply be too impacted to do anything other than simply survive. You know, the media has often taken the role of storyteller during disasters, but I'm not sure it's the same thing. With the media coverage, it's often just a, a clip or a soundbite or a picture or something like that. I really like this idea of a deep dive into the human story of disaster resilience and focusing on the complexities and the person and the type of individual that's involved. I think that really helps to take it home and personalize it. Um, and one of the quotes that I quite liked from the interview was that nobody needs a badge 
to be a disaster responder. And I think this is very much related to this redefining of the first responder term. The first responders aren't the police, fire, and EMS. They're not the disaster managers that show up. They are the people who are most impacted in the moment. They're the people who are there. And I think telling that story and recognizing those actions of the true first responders is a great way to build resilience and anything that empowers action at a, at a frontline level, uh, I can absolutely get behind. And moving into our journal club section, there's an essay which I would uh, encourage everybody to read. It's called An Interpretation of Disaster in Terms of Changes in Culture, Society, and International Relations. It's by David Alexander, and it's found in the book What is Disaster by Perry and uh, Quarantinelli uh, from 2005. Really interesting read, and it basically talks about the importance of disaster symbols and how we kind of move to this iconography of disasters. And uh Similar to the game we played at the beginning of the episode, if I showed you a few key pictures of certain disasters, you'd be able to tell me and recognize right away just from looking at some of these iconic uh, photographs. Um, he talks a little bit about the, the phenomenon of survivor books and most major disasters, whether it be wildfires or flooding, uh, local communities kind of self-organize these picture-based often survivor books that kind of re you know, retell this shared experience. Um, my wife is from uh, Northwestern Ontario, and they've got a, a book there about the Red Lake wildfires. It's called The Fire People, and it's local story that's been collected in terms of pictures and essays and anecdotes, and it's an important part of, of the history of that community. And everybody knows what the lived experience was of that uh, of the major wildfire where the entire town had to be evacuated. So I think these icons and symbols are important to be aware of, and, and they can be empowering. And uh, it's certainly the, um, I think, the untold part of disaster research that we can sometimes help use to better inform our, you know, more quantitative approach. You know, it's funny you mentioned the survivor books. Uh, I have one on my coffee table as well to do with the Southern Alberta floods, and it really does help to keep uh, those lessons and those memories fresh in my mind. So I think for today... Our tool of the trade is going to be a book, uh, and specifically, of course, Suzanne Bernier's critically acclaimed book, Disaster Heroes. So it tells the story of ordinary men, women, and children who have done extraordinary things to help respond, recover, and rebuild following some of the world's most significant modern disasters. You can find it, well, you can find it anywhere. Uh, it's it's called Disaster Heroes. Uh, it's on Amazon. Um, it's, it's a quite a well-known book, and I think probably going to become a, a must-read for all emergency managers. Just before we go, I'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsors. One of our sponsors for this episode is ATB Financial, and they have put some work into uh, developing stories of their own, specifically with the We Are Alberta podcast. Uh, Alberta is filled with history, from its people to its landmarks. There are stories that help bring this province to life from an economic point of view. On We Are Alberta, economist Nick Ford is hitting the road to find out what makes Alberta, Alberta. So listen and subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, and anywhere that podcasts are generally found. Our other sponsor for today is Alberta Health Services, and they have a message for you, which you will hear right now. 
We ask these children if they know when to go to emergency and when there are other options. If you got in a car accident or like having trouble breathing, yeah. I would go to emergency if I had a really bad hockey skate cut on the neck. They're there to treat people that are really sick or really hurt. If you have an emergency or if you're not sure, we're here to help. Know your options. Call HealthLink at 811 or visit ahs.ca slash options. And that's all for this episode of Epic Podcast. A big thanks to Suzanne Bernier for sharing their time and expertise with us on the topic of survivor storytelling. If you'd like to find out more or get in touch, you can email us at team at epicpodcast.ca, send us a tweet to username epic underscore underscore podcast, or visit our website at epicpodcast.ca. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to an Epic Podcast production, a proud partner of the International Association of Emergency Managers Canada and member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATV. As always, Epic Podcasts are designed as a supplementary educational tool for the EM professional on the go, and the views and opinions explored during this podcast do not necessarily represent the agencies or organizations that we or our guests may be a part of. For more information about the show or the people on it, visit our website at epicpodcast.ca or follow us on Twitter at the username epic underscore underscore podcast. Stay tuned for more on the next episode of Epic Podcast. Current, relevant, 